You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. All right, let's get into it. I think that's everything. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and get into the scripture. Uh, if you guys want to follow along, it should be on the board. If not, um, sorry about it. Genesis 37, starting in verse 5. One day, Joseph told his brothers what he had dreamed, and they hated him even more. Joseph said, let me tell you about my dream. We were out in the field trying, tying up bundles of wheat. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles gathered around and bowed down to it. His brothers asked, do you really think you're going to be king and rule over us? Now they hated Joseph even more because of what he had said about his dream. Joseph later had another dream, and he told his brothers, listen to what else I dreamed. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed down to me. When his father had heard about the dream, his father became angry and said, what is this supposed to mean? Are your mother and I and your brothers all to co- going to come to bow down in front of you? Genesis 37, starting in verse 23. When Joseph came to his brothers, they pulled off his coat of many colors and threw him into the cistern that had no water in it. Genesis 50. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries in his courts and all dignitaries of Egypt, besides all of the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and their herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen all went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Mazrim. So Jacob's son did as had Excuse me. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in a cave in the field of Machpeah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all of the spirit. Er, excuse me. With his brothers and all of the others who had gone with him to bury his father. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father has left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Genesis 41, verse 56. When the famine had spread all over the country, Joseph opened all of the storehouses and sold the grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all of the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because because the famine was severe everywhere. All right. I have had two correct guesses. Does anybody who did not message me want to guess really quickly before we get going? Menu doesn't get a say. She got it right. No? Five, four, three, two, one. Manu, what is it? Yeah, the Black Panther. All right. 
go ahead and show the clip. All right. <clears throat> In Black Panther, T'Challa is crowned king of Wakanda following his father's death. But his sovereignty is challenged by an adversary who plans to abandon the country's isolationist policies and begin a global revolution. In a confrontation with Ulysses Claw, T'Challa begins to unravel a sin that his father had committed and discovers a relative. This relative challenges T'Challa in an act of, <clears throat> in an act of honor. T'Challa, can you turn me down just a tiny bit, man? Thank you. This relative challenges T'Challa, and in an act of honor, T'Challa agrees to combat. Throughout the fight, you can see him pulling punches and giving his cousin Killmonger many times to give up, but ultimately Killmonger keeps going. Though, ultimately, the honor and mercy T'Challa gives Killmonger ends in him being thrown off a cliff and left for dead. Even in betrayal and rejection from his own family, his own people, and his own friends, T'Challa ultimately extends mercy and forgiveness towards them. If you remember a few weeks back when we talked about Loki, we shared a little bit about how he was compared to Jacob. And now Joseph is the son of that same Jacob, okay? And now I could really confuse you and tell you that Jacob is also called Israel, but I can already tell by your guys' faces that uh, you're having a hard time following. So we'll make it as simple as possible. But I am sorry if I miss up, miss hap and use Jacob and Joseph interchangeably because they're two totally different people, but I am horrible at mixing up names, and so I apologize. Joseph is the son of Jacob and Rachel, and he had 11 other brothers and half-brothers. Joseph was the favorite of Jacob, and Jacob gave him a coat of many colors, as Scripture describes it, which is initially what started Jacob's brother's jealousies of him. And so one night when Joseph slept, God gave him a vision that he would ultimately be the king, be the ruler, um, that his brothers would have to bow down to him. This infuriated his brothers and half-brothers beyond belief. They were so angry at him because not only was he the favorite, not only was he receiving things that the others weren't, um, now he's coming to them and saying, you're going to bow down to me. And this is a vision I had from God. And back then it was customary that when you had a vision from God um, and you knew it was from God, you shared it no matter what the consequences were with those around you. You shared it to the people that it needed to be shared with. There was no holding back of things. And so, because it would benefit him, you would think he would know his brothers would get angry at him. So why didn't he just not share the vision? But back then it was most customary for them to just share it no matter what. And so, again, another night, Joseph was given another vision. And in this other vision, he saw that he would be the ruler over his brothers as well as his parents. And this enraged his brothers even more. And all of this rage eventually lands to his brothers stripping Joseph of that coat that I was talking about, that really nice coat of many colors. And they throw Joseph into a cistern or a well that no longer had any water in it. They intended to keep him there for dead, and uh, ultimately, <clears throat> they wanted him to die in that well. But some of his brothers go back, um, and they grab him out of the well, and then they sell him into slavery instead, not even telling the other brothers. And so uh, Joseph goes through life, goes through a life that would absolutely destroy most of us. I mean, it, it is a life that uh, would chew us up and spit us out. 
He goes from being sold into slavery by his own brothers, being left in a well first for dead, then sold into slavery by his brothers. And eventually, in order to make this sermon a long story short, he was then falsely accused of rape by the wife of the Egyptian official whose household he was in charge of as a slave, to then being thrown in prison for those crimes and serving time in a prison for years and serving time um, as a slave for years. And we'll come back to this. And so Joseph eventually... Uh, as we're going down this path that he's in prison, keeping and keeping in step, he's now in prison. Joseph eventually interprets the dreams um, of a couple prisoners who are with him. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm interpreting these dreams for you. Please remember me when you go and tell them. And uh, they go and tell them and they receive benefit for the interpretation, and everything, and it all comes to truth. But then they completely forget about Joseph and they just leave him in prison. Well, eventually, long story short, um, the Pharaoh himself has a vision from God and he needs an interpreter. Well, after years of him being in prison, even longer, um, the same people who he had interpreted the dream for that were prisoners with him alongside with him, they're like, oh yeah, Joseph, that dude that was in prison that interpreted our dreams for us and they came true or our dream, one of them died, um, our dream for me, uh, and it came true. And so, um, this is the guy you need to go talk to. And so Pharaoh himself goes and he gets Joseph and he's like, hey, explain this dream to me. And, and Joseph explains it to him. And this dream, this vision comes true. And Pharaoh's just like, dude, you are the man. And so Pharaoh recognizes the call on Joseph. He recognizes how God is moving in Joseph. And so the Pharaoh himself makes Joseph second in command of Egypt. Like pretty much what Joseph said went. He was almost completely in charge. <clears throat> and so God then again, again gives Joseph another dream. And this time it is about a famine that is about ready to come to the whole region, the whole just everywhere around, not just Egypt, like Canaan and everything. It's, it's a famine that's going to hit everything. And so Joseph, basically, as the second in command, sets Egypt up to um, benefit an extremely uh, high amount prior to this famine. There's going to be a seven-year grace period before this famine hits. And so uh, Joseph, as the second in command, he's like, hey, let's take advantage of this. Let's store up as much grain as we possibly can, because God's telling us a famine is coming. Let's store up literally as much as we can during this uh, harvest, during the next few years, so that we can provide throughout the, the um, famine. And so through the visions that he gets from God, he basically sets Egypt up to be the, the powerhouse of the whole region because everybody's going to have to come to them because they're the only ones who prepared for it because they're the only ones who knew it was coming. And so then Joseph, um, again, long story short, um, sets up Egypt to basically open themselves up to everybody around them to come in and get grain. And so he sells and shares uh, the storage that they have throughout the whole region. And so everybody from everywhere is getting wind of this and they're all going to Egypt. And he basically just sets it up so that Egypt is like just banking through this whole process. And Egypt is just 
profiting and they're doing amazing and they're just, they're, they're set. And so obviously this establishes Joseph as, as an amazing man of God and a righteous man and at the same time um, also sets him up as a knowledgeable man and sets him up with a lot of power and authority. Eventually, Joseph's own brothers come to Egypt because they've heard about what Egypt is doing. They've heard that they're opening their doors. They heard that they're selling the, the grain and the, this famine is going on even where they're that, where they're at in Canaan. And so, um, they hear about this and so they, they go in and Joseph is then reunited with his brothers. Now Joseph is in a position of power. And again, long story made shorter, Joseph, instead of using his power and authority to harm his brothers because they pretty much left him for dead and then sold him to slavery and ruined his life, so to say. He then chooses instead to forgive them. But it's not hard to to make the connection where his brothers were thinking. They were thinking, Joseph wants to kill us. He knows we're existing. He's setting us up. He wants to kill us. And so um, they become very paranoid of Joseph. And this whole story plays out and their paranoia grows and grows and grows. And meanwhile, Joseph is just in a position of forgiving them and not only forgiving them, but wanting to bless them. And so um, as the story goes on, eventually uh, his brothers come to recognize that he is forgiving them and he sets them up in a land that is the most fertile land in all of Egypt. Like he convinces the Pharaoh to let his family have a piece of property that is like, even to this day, is just a lush haven for agriculture. It is green. It's not what you picture when you think of Egypt. It is green. It is bountiful. Food grows easily there. Animals prosper. Like it it is just a, a land of prosperity within Egypt. And so not only did Joseph forgives them, but he also uses his position of power to bless them greatly and bless generations to come from them. But we all know eventually, you know, the whole Moses thing happens. But back then he was blessing the lineage that was going to come after them. And so Joseph basically is this poster child um, for the life of punishment to no fault of his own. He's being disciplined. He's being punished. He's being uh, thrown in jail for things that he never did wrong. He never did anything wrong according to his punishments. How many of you guys have ever felt like that sometimes? Things are just going wrong in your life and you sit back and all you can think of is like, why? Why is this happening? Now, Joseph's story is obviously 10 times bigger than what we go through here in America, but we know that feeling. We know how sometimes life doesn't deal us a fair hand. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes we get blamed for things that we didn't do. Joseph is this poster child for this. He's the the shining example within the very first book of the Bible about this. And so, again, Joseph didn't do anything wrong to deserve being thrown into the well and left for dead. He didn't do anything wrong in order to deserve being thrown into slavery. He didn't do anything wrong to be falsely accused of adultery. He was just there. And he was the scapegoat. He was the blame. They, he was the, the one that others around him wanted to punish because he 
wasn't doing anything wrong. And so he spent 13 years in the wilderness, so to say. And when I say wilderness, I don't mean in the literal wilderness. I mean, he spent 13 years as a slave and in prison. He spent 13 years walking through life, having received a vision that others were going to bow down to him, that he was going to be a king or like a king. He went 13 years between that and actually experiencing it. And so for 13 years, he had to wonder, was that vision real? Is this going to happen? Did God really say this? Because I'm sure doubt crept into his mind. He probably thought, no, this wasn't God. There's no way this was God because uh, 13 years have gone by. I'm literally in prison in Egypt because of this. I've been sold into slavery. And so you wonder what he was thinking. He's like, what if I had just not told that story? What if I had just not shared that vision? What if I had just stayed with my family and, and they wouldn't hate me and they wouldn't have thrown me into a pit? But instead, um, what you see through Joseph and see through his life is he stays true to God. He stays humble and he stays faithful. Even when he's got opportunities in front of him to, to benefit from doing evil, he stays true to God and he stays gracious. I don't know about you, but I just imagine I picture myself spending 13 years in the wilderness, spending that time as a slave and in jail. And I don't think I would come out the other side as gracious and humble and on fire for God as Joseph was. I probably would have let it chew me up and spin me out. I'm who knows? Maybe I would do better than I thought. Maybe I'd do better than I think I would in this situation. However, I'm pretty sure there's a reason why Joseph went through it and not me. And so right now, I say to you guys, maybe you were in your own wilderness, or maybe you've just been through your own wilderness, or maybe you're going to be in your own wilderness. And maybe you're spending time at night asking God why. Maybe you spend time wondering what the next step is. What am I going? Where's where am I at? What is this season that I'm in? What am I doing wrong? What did I do to deserve this? <clears throat> Again, none of us are going through a wilderness to this scale of Joseph, but I don't want to downplay the wilderness you might be going through. Because what you might be going through, the hardships you might be going through, they're, they're very real and they're very powerful. Even if it is just to you, they're hardships, they're adversity, they're challenges, their struggles, their hurdles you have to overcome. And so we have to look at Joseph's life for how to live out our own. And I love this story with Joseph, but I think it mirrors the life of T'Challa so much in a lot of ways. I think there's so many cool things, so many ways that it, that it, it uh, correlates. But the ones that I use with, with the scripture to, to point you guys to this story is, so first and foremost... Joseph was thrown into a well by his own family. The Chala was thrown off of a river that had been drained of its water over a cliff by his own family. Both left for dead. <clears throat> Both had overcome tremendous adversity. And yet both chose ultimately to forgive. Both used their power of authority and uh, predominance within the, the world, within the region, within their kingdom. They used their power to open up their communities, open up their, their, uh, their kingdoms um, to the refugees, to those needing help. 
And they both, like I said, chose to forgive and they both chose to embrace those around them who were also facing adversity and those who had hurt them themselves. And so the adversities that you might be facing today, if we can take a little bit of encouragement, if we can take a little bit of a piece of the story from Joseph, we can tell that these adversities won't defeat us. That doesn't mean we're going to come out of it as the king. It doesn't mean we're going to come out of it with money and riches and power and authority. But we can come out of these adversities undefeated, not allowing them to defeat us. Because really what it comes down to is it is your choice. It really comes down to it is your choice to either let these adversities harden your heart and your soul and drive you away from others, or it is your choice to forgive Extend the same grace that Jesus extended to us. Forgive those who may have hurt you. Rise up and embrace, embrace the hardships as discipline. And when I say discipline, I don't mean discipline in the sense of punishment. I mean discipline in the sense of a father raising up their child. A parent doesn't let uh, their kid who is trying to learn how to walk fall as punishment. They allow them to fall in training in teaching the child how to walk. And so we must view our hardships as discipline, allowing it to teach us and allowing it to grow us, but not allowing it to change us and to harden our heart. Because I think how easy would it have been for Joseph to see his brothers coming for aid and just ignore them? Not even necessarily punish them. I'm not talking lay down revenge, come, come down on them with a sword, kill them all. I'm talking how easy would it have been for Joseph to just be like, that's my family. All right, I'm going to take a break, guys. I'll be back in 20 minutes. Let them get their food and let them go on with their life. But instead, Joseph had to have love for them. He had to forgive them for him to do what he did. And so I ask, how easy would it have been for T'Challa to can't pronounce T'Challa for some reason, to have killed or have Killmonger thrown into prison, completely ignored his requests, just said, this is a crazy man who just wants power, throw away the key, ignore his requests, ignore who he is, and just lie to himself and lie to everybody else and say that he wasn't who he said he was. But instead, T'Challa gives him benefit of the doubt, gives him the respect that he would deserve as a position of power. And then at the end, even after all is said and done, T'Challa still extends forgiveness to him. He's saying, don't, we can save you. Don't just, don't die. There's more to this. And then in the end, I don't, has everybody in here seen uh, Black Panther? Have you seen Black Panther? Okay, so I won't ruin it, but... Ultimately, in the end of the movie, you guys know what scene I'm talking about, who've seen it. Um, but T'Challa, uh, they do something unexpected. And they open up Wakanda. They allow their information to give out. They allow their country to be a, a beacon, to allow those who know less, to allow those who are struggling, who are without, to come to them for aid. And so the reason we have to mimic these, the reason we have to look to these as teaching elements, and the reason we have to model our life after this and recognize 
Our need to forgive and our need to be at peace and our need to make sure our hearts is, are not getting hardened is because someday you may be given a position of power. If you can't forgive those around you now in defeat in the wilderness, then how will you forgive those around you when you have authority and power? As humans, we tend to become withdrawn, bitter, and angry when we face adversity and we face a wilderness. And make no mistake that if you aren't facing adversity, if you haven't gone through a wilderness, if you're not currently hurt, you're not hurting, there will come a time where you will and you are. Because it is a part of living in a world that has fallen. Sin exists, hardships come, adversity comes, people hurt. It is our choice how to respond to them. And the way that you respond now in defeat and in the wilderness can change your future in drastic ways. And the thing about it is you don't always get to know how, when, or how long adversity is going to affect you but you do get to choose how you respond to it. Because through all of Joseph's struggles, God not only had a plan, but he was alongside Joseph for it. God didn't abandon Joseph. God didn't lead him or leave him. God was near to him. And right now, no matter what you're going through, God is here by your side, walking through your adversities with you walking through your hardships with you. And he has a plan. And he is working all things together for good, for his good and his glory. And so no matter how hard it is to see a way out, God is here. No matter how barren the wilderness feels, God is by your side. And ultimately, no matter how angry or bitter you might be now, Jesus is still welcoming you with arms open wide and forgiving you and saying, hey, this is a life that needs to be lived in forgiveness. The same way I've forgiven you, you need to forgive others. And it's because of that forgiveness, because of Christ's model for us. It is through him that we are able to forgive and we are able to heal. So long story, as short as I can possibly make it, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today, and we thank you for this opportunity to come here, hear your word, and let you speak to our hearts. God, I pray as, as this semester goes on, and as we're coming out of winter, We've all experienced cabin fever. We've all experienced that frustration of being cooped up too long. Maybe we've hurt other people. Maybe other people have hurt us. Maybe things are going on outside of our lives, outside of this certain situation that are just hard to deal with. God, I pray that you would help us to keep our hearts from getting hard that you would help us protect ourselves, not in building walls, but in opening up our arms. 
Help us to recognize the hurts and the pain and the the suffering is not our identity. Help us to recognize who we are in you. And then help us to see others that same way. God, we love you and we thank you. And uh, it is in your name we pray. Amen. So tonight, I'm just going to leave you with a quote. One of my favorite quotes from all of the Black Panther movies, or movie. I mean, he's been in three movies, but the one movie. In times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we are from one single tribe.